Welcome to Sharing in Our Caring, the podcast that brings together thought leaders, policymakers, and industry insiders. During our programs, we'll be shedding light on the human services sector that is often overlooked, but impacts us all. Join us for engaging conversations aimed at making positive change in this important space. So we're here for our next episode around diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Elliot Masuda, one of the hosts, and I have with me today, Natalie, and I'm going to let her introduce herself as my co-host. I'm Natalie Wright-Moore. Many of you may know me as the training manager here at Foothold. I have more than 20 years of experience working with human service providers, local governments, healthcare agencies around lots of issues related to trafficking in child, children and adults, substance use, homelessness, mental health, kind of running the gamut. And this topic is so apropos to all of those communities that I used to serve because understanding diversity in those communities was so important to making inroads in connecting with folks who are in those communities. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I think the topic in general, right, although it hits home for the work that we do, I think it also just is very relevant to the times. Sure. So today we're going to be talking with Cindy Joseph from the C-Suite. So roughly three years ago, um, Foothold started with a DEI committee. Several of us who are employed at Foothold run this committee, and what we noticed was a need for skills, that we were all well-meaning people who had different backgrounds related to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but none of us was sort of a diversity, equity, inclusion expert. So one of the things that we were able to do was go to a conference and learn some information, some language, some foundational skills. And when we brought that back to Foothold, we told our leadership, like, we need to do a little bit more. We need to have more for everyone so that we're all starting off in the same playing field. Fast forward through COVID, we're now at a place where we were ready to bring someone in to really help our teams understand what diversity, equity, inclusion means, find some common language around DEI. And we are working with Cindy's team at the C-suite to do this. Yeah, that's awesome. I think our conversation with her was so inspiring. I think the thing that we're going to kick off and cut to right now is just why we should make DEI a priority. So let's listen to Cindy. Thank you for having me, Elliot and Natalie. I'm Cindy Joseph, and I'm the founder and CEO of the C-Suite. And uh, I know you're going to ask me a little bit about our company, but it's a a talent management and DEI consultancy. And we work with organizations that are hopefully committed. We're going to talk about commitment, (laughs) I think, during the time that we have here to building high-performing, inclusive, equitable workplaces. And ultimately, our goal is to think about how does this work impact social progress, right? How can this help to create sustainable change and progress across communities? So my background is talent management. I spent almost two decades in recruiting, diversity and inclusion, performance management, leadership development in large corporate spaces, Fortune 500 companies. And for a long time, I did that work. I thought it was important stuff to be doing. But I also sometimes felt that there was something missing there, right? I personally did a lot of recruiting, 
especially efforts to bring on a lot of underrepresented candidates into the companies that I was working for. And after a lot of years of, of doing that, I definitely started questioning what's going on, what might be happening when I looked up and saw marginal changes in workplace demographics. In some ways, it felt like a leaky faucet. We're bringing people in, but they're leaving almost to the same extent that we're bringing people in. Or we just weren't seeing people who were of certain identities, certain marginalized identities in particular at certain career levels of an organization, right? So there are a lot of organizations that struggle to figure out where to start, but I think even those that are doing some things right probably would tell you the same thing. They've got that same phenomena of hyper-focus on recruiting and yet missing the mark on retention and advancement and belonging. And then on a personal front, I'm a Black woman. I name that up front in a lot of the things that I do. I had my own challenges being one of few Black women in my position. And even as I was working my way up the corporate chain, I had those feelings of imposter syndrome. I was dealing with micro and sometimes macro aggressions. There were times when I felt tokenized in my workplaces. And sometimes I felt like I belonged. Sometimes I felt like a complete outsider, even in spaces that I had been in for years. And so that was just a perpetual part of my own day-to-day work life. And I just honestly took a step back, looked at that entire picture and thought that there was something else out there for me and some other way that I could use my skills and talents. And that's really where the C-suite started. I left corporate four and a half years ago and haven't looked back. So many of the things you say resonated with me about being in those spaces and not necessarily feeling a part of the space or those microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And even for me, my background is in social work. So in those places where we are supposed to be serving, you know, sort of the most needy, as a worker in those places, you're not always treated the same as you are told to treat the folks who you are there to serve. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be. And I know a lot of other people who felt the same way I did being in these roles in, especially in the diversity space, but even sometimes in HR space, like you do care and you want to make the best decision that you could make, make the best judgment you could make on behalf of someone else. And, you know, you're also part of the organization. You're navigating your own career. You're trying to protect the organization in in some respects. And so there's some inherent tension there sometimes. And one of the things that I enjoy about what I do now is I do like the distance in some respects because I can come in and be as objective as possible. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I've heard too many times on these, you know, I manage our association partnerships. And so from some of their membership that right now with COVID, that they can't really prioritize DEI with the other priorities that they're kind of handling. What would you say, like, why should an organization make DEI a priority? And kind of just a follow-up question is, are there any trends that you're seeing in the space around that? It's a great question. And in my mind, I'm like, well, why shouldn't you prioritize DEI? There's so many reasons, right? <laughs> so there's certainly the the traditional, and I put that in air quotes for anyone who's listening, traditional business case <laughs> that a lot of us have heard every year. McKinsey, Deloitte, some big organization comes out and says, mm. Diversity is going to positively impact your bottom line, higher revenues, earnings, more ROI, stronger innovation. Like we've heard those things for a long time. Certainly those things are true. We know our country and certainly the world is changing, but you know, we're becoming more and more diverse, whether it's around the growing percentages of people who identify as a person of color, more people identify as part of the LGBTQ community than have in the past. 
an expanding understanding of disability, of mental health, of social identities. You talk about COVID, all this stuff is coming laid bare in ways that we could hide from it before when we all kind of worked in offices together. And now there's no hiding. We're in each other's faces. We're, you know, all dealing with some level of change, some larger than others due to to what's happening in the pandemic. So organizations need to evolve and they need to be able to address those needs for certainly their people, but also their customers are having these same experiences at the same time. Ultimately, I think why this is a priority is because it's about our people and it's about each of us being able to show up, do our best work with respect, equity, psychological safety, and dignity. And that's how organizations get the best out of their people, right? That's how high-performing teams that feel safe enough to throw out those wild ideas that then lead to innovation, that then drive those higher revenues form. And for people who truly care about the social progress and the dynamics of the world outside of their own organizational walls, you know, that focus on equity and inclusion can be how so many people support their families and support their communities. And addressing inequity in the workplace is just one of the ways that we can impact and have a knock-on effect on other social change for communities. Yeah. And the reasons that you talked about are really benefits, right? It's actually benefiting, creating an inclusive and equitable environment. So that's great. I think one of the things that this pandemic has also brought up is more recently you were hearing about more women leaving the workplace and women in higher positions being sort of forced out of the workplace because of childcare duties. And I don't know if people think of that as sort of a diversity, equity, inclusion issue. They think of it more as a gender or a mom or a family thing. All of that is within the DEI scope. So as organizations are losing their women and their women at the higher levels of their organizations, looking at that and wondering, you know, well, what's going on? Yeah. And Natalie, that touches on what Elliot brought up, like trends, right? Our understanding and our conversation around DEI has shifted a lot, (laughs) I would say, in the last five, 10 years, certainly within the most recent years. So, you know, thinking about it, not only as I remember when I first started doing this work, we were talking about gender primarily, in some cases, race and ethnicity, but even that we're only now, I think, starting to scratch the surface of real Mm -hmm. conversation around racial inequity. At some point, disability and LGBTQ became part of the discussion. Now we're having conversations around what makes everyone show up, not have to cover important parts of themselves, have the safety that they need to speak up, to share ideas, to challenge the status quo. And that could be any number of things. It could be caretaker status, like you're mentioning, that's impacted so many people. It could be mental health, which has been, thankfully, it's becoming more and more destigmatized, although it's very difficult for people to throw that out there for fear of what that might mean to their careers. And so I, I think if there's one trend that I see that I think is a positive, it's just our own expanding understanding of what diversity truly means. Yeah. I just wrote a blog. I think you're reading my mind, Natalie, about employers' role in the caregiver economy. Mm, great minds. <laughs> you know, Natalie, it was so refreshing to hear 
when Cindy was talking about how DEI has really grown to incorporate kind of the populations that we serve. So the disability community, individuals with mental health. And she touched on, although the stigma is still present, that the walls are starting to break down a little bit. And so I, I really think, although the work can be challenging, organizations are starting to realize that it is necessary. I agree totally. And I think with that, agencies are struggling with where to begin because it is such a big topic and they want to do it right. And I think Cindy has some really great tips for us about how they can do that. So a lot of the organizations that we work with, like I said, are talking about DEI now, but we hear kind of over and over, where do we start? Do you have any advice to give an organization that's just starting out on their DEI journey and what can they do? Yeah. So we hear this a lot too. I'm we sure. get a lot of, uh, yeah, we get a lot of increase from people who I think are well-meaning leaders, but who also think that this work is daunting. And to an extent, I can see why this can be intimidating to undertake. Like, where do I start? I would say, firstly, I would just validate it is hard work. Full stop. It is hard work. And I think businesses solve all kinds of hard problems every day. Mm-hmm. And so I would offer for folks to think about how they solve any business challenge or priority that they have, right? So take DEI out of it. You'd go about understanding what's currently happening. You'd gather feedback on what works, what doesn't. You might investigate what's happening in the market that maybe there's something out there that we can borrow or buy. We might need to build something internally. And then you start to put together those strategies one by one. And I think for those who are not quite sure where to start or what's going on in their organization, I think figuring out your DEI strategy can be a similar process, right? So you start with an assessment. I would survey the entire organization on their experience. You review policies to understand where they protect all workers, where they create or perpetuate inequity in some cases. I would look at hiring rates, promotion rates, retention rates across different groups. I would definitely talk to people. So we do focus groups and interviews because we know that surveys and workforce demographics, they don't tell us the whole story, right? We have Mm -hmm. to understand what's between the data, you know, really going beyond what the, what the data tells us strictly. And then speaking of, of those demographics, when you're looking at them, you're not only looking at it across the organization, you're looking at career levels, you're looking at departments, you're reviewing as much data that you have on different social identities. And ultimately, you're just trying to get a fulsome a perspective of what's happening in your organization as, as possible. And those are the insights. Once you've gathered all of that information, That's what's going to help you understand to what extent you have groups that have similar outcomes as every other group or groups that may be disproportionately negatively having experiences at work. You can look at that across any number of things, hiring process, advancement, retention, overall experience. But that is really how you're going to understand where there is work to be done, what you're going to prioritize and focus on, and where you have to change or intervene in your process. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important for organizations to understand that it's not just a workshop or it's not mm-hmm. just a press release. This is real work. And this is work that starts at the foundation of your organization and really needs to filter throughout. And I think it's also to your, what you both were saying, it's a journey, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So we saw organizations really start to talk about DEI. We saw it sort of 
blow up on social media and all over uh, maybe two years ago, two, three years ago with what was happening politically in our country and also what was happening socially on the streets in many of our major cities. And organizations said, oh, wait, we have folks who look like these people who are out in the streets in our organizations, and we want to support them and figure out ways to let them know that we support the communities they come from. And organizations started talking a lot about DEI and trying to put in practices. And there was lots of outward shows through funding different agencies or funding movements and that kind of thing and social organizations. From your work, have you seen organizations sort of ability to sustain those items that they did put in place? And if so, what are one or two of those practices that kind of stood the test of time? I have personally been reflecting on this for a while. I think 18 months ago, two years ago, it was nearly impossible to ignore the impact of of George Floyd's murder in particular. Mm -hmm. But other, you know, we were hearing about Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery every other day, but like something was happening. It was everywhere. And I remember newsletters that I read all the time that had never even mentioned diversity. Suddenly words like allyship and anti-racism and all the things were in the forefront. And we got a lot of calls where organizations felt the urgency of the moment and couldn't figure this out fast enough. Fast forward to today, and I do think we're already seeing some waning commitment Mm -hmm. in some cases. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we've talked about a couple times here, this is hard work. And I think one good thing is gone are the days where check the box and band-aid solutions are passable because so many organizations are now being held accountable by their employees, by, you know, customers who are shopping their values, investors in some cases are asking questions. And so if you're going to put yourself out there and say you're doing this work, it's harder to do it passively the way that I think it has been in the past. You know, to me, the most critical principles for sustaining this work and what I see works, just frankly, a belief that DEI is about your people. And as a people priority, it touches everything that you do. So it really shouldn't be managed as an extracurricular that can be activated and deactivated based on what's going on in the market, right? The second thing that I think is critical for organizations that do this sustainably and get it right. I say this all the time, like anything that you do in business, you wouldn't put something important into place and not have a strategy plan, a budget, resources, key performance indicators, some way to measure what's going on, right? Those that are doing this work and seeing change are not approaching DEI as like, oh, let's just do this program here. And I saw this best practice there. Let's try that. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about it as a critical organizational function that is properly strategized and resourced and respected, right? So I think about that when, you know, your question about what happens when priorities change, this is how you stick with it. It's critical to operationalize DEI and weave it into how the organization functions. Mm-hmm. So as an organization thinks about like, how we hire people, who gets promoted, how do we engage people, who's making decisions around our products and services, getting really clear about how those key decisions are made, who is making those decisions, and having clear, consistent, transparent criteria for all of those processes is what helps this work stay 
sustainable and accountable, right? You have to weave these in. So it becomes, this is just how we do business. I I just want to sort of highlight that what you're saying is that organizations need to put resources behind the work. You already had said so many kind of tips or suggestions, but you kind of talked about commitment. Is there any other tips that you think for DEI work for an organization to be successful? I think definitely doing the assessment is one of my biggest tips because I feel like people jump in and have no idea what they even need to fix sometimes. A couple things that I haven't mentioned. So I guess on the heels of what I just said, DEI is certainly everyone's job in the organization to participate in, to uphold. And I think it's also helpful to have a center of expertise, whether it's a lead if your company is at that size or your organization's at that size or maybe a DEI committee, but just an entity to ensure that there is a strategy in place. Someone has to look after the strategy, right? Part of the challenge with it's everyone's job is that it becomes no one's job (laughs) to some (laughs) extent, but some entity to make sure that there is a strategy, that there are policies and practices that are being reviewed that there are equitable and inclusive policies that are being upheld. And then as much as any of us as individuals may want to show up and do the right thing, we are human. We need to just acknowledge that, give ourselves some grace. We are human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be tired. We're going to take shortcuts. I make mistakes all the time, and I've literally been doing this work 20 years. So having some entity, someone or or some group that can help pull the strategy pieces together and help keep everyone else kind of accountable and on track, I think is critically important as a tip. And related to that, that last piece around keeping track, I know a lot of us have heard what gets measured gets done. So organizations should really figure out what's important for them to measure and why, and then make sure that they've got some goals and some, you know, key performance indicators, some sort of reporting cadence to make sure that they are holding themselves accountable and adjusting their strategy where they need to. I just want to ask kind of how you work with clients that you have. We do a few things. The first is on the advisory side. So we do the work of helping clients to understand what is going on. (laughs) (laughs) And so all the stuff I mentioned in the beginning about surveying folks and looking at policies and doing interviews and workforce demographics, we actually will go in and do all of that in partnership with the client and help them understand what do they do well where are the opportunities, sometimes where are the risks that we see, because you know there are a lot of folks who don't even know that there are impending risks within the organization, and then help them to figure out, okay, well, what do we do about this, right? What's the roadmap or the strategy that we should put into place? And in a lot of cases, we stick around to actually help them build it. So that's one way we work with clients. The other big part of our business is we do a lot of education and awareness building through training and workshops. We talk a lot about if you're in the diversity space or have been paying attention, a lot of the topics that I think you're familiar with. So how do you address bias? How do you build equity, anti-racism in the workplace, allyship, leadership topics, a lot of manager one-on-ones too. How do you give feedback and coaching? How do you become an inclusive leader? I think we have probably about a dozen signature workshops that we do to help build awareness. And so some of our clients do advisory work. Some of our clients engage us with the workshops and then some do both. I think that's helpful for organizations to know that there's like different tracks that everything, like Mm -hmm. I think some places might feel overwhelmed and feel like we have to go to this really big process as opposed to we can do an assessment and we can work on things, you know, as we find them, as we can kind of. So I think that's helpful for folks to know. You have to understand what are some short-term things that you can do that might have some immediate impact. 
What do you need to build today so that you can work on the longer term things? And then some things are going to take time, right? We're not going to dismantle everything that's gone wrong in our systems, frankly, in a year or two years, but we have to put the steps in place so that down the line, we can see the effects of that work. So yeah, you start where you are, you know, there's no need to get overwhelmed with it. You can't take it step by step. Is there a place that we're trying to get to that you can actually like when you're envisioning and looking at an organization, it's you're looking at their hiring practices, their policies, but is there someone that's actually do like perfected DEI or is that something where there is going to be no perfection and it's always going to be a work in progress just as the same way that being happy is or something like that? (laughs) It's a great question. The one thing I will say, I, I think a lot of times when organizations are doing this work, they do think they're working towards representation, which is that D part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they hyper-focus on that as the key. And I think that that's an important goal. I want representation as well. And I think the hyper-focus on that takes away the focus on the hard work of what equity and inclusion is. And in a lot of ways, because we've got that hyper-focus, we end up bringing people into organizations, you know, when we can find them, we bring them into organizations that aren't necessarily set up for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I would offer something for organizations to think about in terms of what are they ultimately trying to do, maybe the focus can shift from diversity first as like the only thing, right? The big thing and really start with, do we have an equitable organization? Are our practices fair? Are we doing things that help to bring balance to systems that have been inequitable to certain groups over time? Do we have policies and procedures and practices in place that are clear, transparent, and allow for access to everybody? That is where I would focus, right? And you bring in like the inclusion piece of making sure people feel like they belong, voices heard, their psychological safety. And then we get to diversity. Then people want to come, people want to stay. They'll be able to advance because there won't be the roadblocks and barriers and access issues. But the way that we do things right now, it is a little bit putting the cart before the horse. That's a wrap. I really enjoyed talking with Cindy, and I think she really gave action items for organizations to think about as they're approaching DI, no matter where they are in their journey. In this conversation we've had with Cindy, one of the things that has really stuck with me, and I think this is something for the agencies that we work with as nonprofits, with budgets that are very tailored towards the services that they give, there's not always a whole lot for these more administrative things that are like DEI committees. But in that, agencies still need to make that commitment and figure out where are the resources to do this work, no matter how small they are. It could be a training. It could be some documentation. It could be conversations. But there needs to be some resources put behind if you're asking your teams to make this effort. Yeah, I think you said it great, Natalie. And the one thing that resonated with me was the commitment piece, because I think that really shows that you're truly tackling DEI as an organization. I want to thank you for co-hosting this episode with me. I was excited to bring another foothold colleague of mine to the podcast. And I want to just shout out and give a thanks to Cindy and the C-suite. We really appreciate them joining us today. 
I loved being here. Good. And we'll just leave you with one final thought from Cindy. There is no miracle cure for dismantling inequity and exclusion. And so if you want to do this work, you really have to think about what are you committed to, accept that it's going to be hard. There are going to be tough decisions to make. There are going to be trade-offs. Sometimes it's going to feel like two steps forward, one step back. And ultimately, it's worth it to, you know, uplift us all to make sure everyone's got access, opportunity, the ability to thrive in the workplace and in their families and communities as well. Thanks for listening to Sharing and Our Caring, brought to you by Foothold Technology. Special thanks to our guest, Cindy Joseph. We also want to give a shout out to Resonate, who has helped us with production and editing. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, please like and subscribe and consider following us on our social media channels by searching at Foothold Tech. For more information, visit us at footholdtechnology.com and we'll catch you on our next episode.